him not, but as many received him, to them gave he the power to be called the sons of God. And then nobody that God has ever had, nobody that God has ever known has ever been cast away. And the Bible says that, uh, well, I'm persuaded that neither height nor depth nor powers nor principalities nor things, uh, nor angels, nor powers, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Why? Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a fantastic thing. There are no strangers. There are no orphans. There are no outcasts of God. But then we come to a question. And you can, if you would, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. We come to a question. Why is it that if that's the case, that we often feel like we have no place? Why do we often feel like strangers and aliens? Why do we feel like there is no place for us? In Genesis 28, we continue here in the life of Jacob. And Jacob is on the run. You remember in Genesis 27, he stole his brother's birthright, and Esau swore he would kill him. And so Rebekah, um, as scheming as ever, said, well, why don't you leave and go get married? so that you won't marry a Canaanite like your brother has. And her thinking was, it's just going to be a matter of time until Isaac dies. And then once uh, Isaac has died, uh, Esau will go his separate way and everything will be okay. We just need to wait this out until Esau calms down. Now, what Rebecca didn't know is that sin has consequences. And we mentioned before, Isaac lived decades and Rebecca never saw her favorite son again. Sin has consequences. Sin separates us from where we ought to be. And now as we pick up here in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 10, it says, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Now, you've heard that name before. Not Beersheba. Beersheba is where Abraham's been living. Haran. You know that. You say, where have I heard that before? Genesis 12, Abraham left where? Haran to go to Canaan. He is now going away from the promised land because of his sin. Now let me tell you, sin will take you somewhere, but it is never the direction that you want to go. Sin will always take you away from what God has for you and what God wants for you. Sin will always take you away from the face of God, from the blessings of God, from really the presence of God. Sin draws you away. You know, we say, if you feel like you're far from God, who moved, right? Jacob now, because of his sin, three generations down from Abraham, is now going the wrong direction. He's backtracking. And he lighted upon a certain place. He came to a certain place and tarried there all night. Because the sun was set, and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and laid down in that place to sleep. Comes, and he takes these pillows, and he takes a stone, and he rests his neck on a stone. Um, this seems strange to us, but in ancient times, this is what you did. You, you put a stone to brace your neck so you could lay your head down. Because uh, the, the problem is, if you lay on the ground, the problem is not so much that the ground is hard, the problem is bugs. And anything soft you can think of, you would make a pillow out of. It's going to have bugs in it, straw or whatever. And so you use a stone to keep your head off the ground. So he lays down and goes to sleep alone. The carrier of the promise, one man sleeping on the ground. 
you know, on the run because of his own sin. Yeah, there's one thing that I want to point out to you as we study the lives of these patriarchs. It is that God has chosen such a strange way to save the world. He uses Abraham, who's nobody, who has an affair with his maid and loses hope, but ultimately through faith bears a son. This son then plays favorite so badly with his sons that they end up trying to kill each other. One of the grandsons is so deceptive, he steals his brother's birthright, disguises himself as his older brother to steal the blessing which God had already promised to give him. This family is who God has chosen to bring the Savior into the world. See, there's something very important we need to know, and this is a little off topic, so stick with me for just a second. Something very important we need to know is that your ability is not why God uses you. Your strength is not why God uses you. God has chosen to use the weak things of this world to confound the strong and the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Ultimately, where does that come in? How did God choose to save the world? Not through a conqueror, but through a cross. As Jesus came down from this broken, messy family, he says, I use the agency of humanity to save the world. You never know what God's going to do. So sometimes you get discouraged. You say, I just don't know how this is going to work. But you don't know what God is going to do. God has got something bigger going on than what we can see. Now he comes and he lays down. He lays his head down to sleep. And the first thing I want to do today is I want to trace through a theme through the Bible for you. And I've, got, I've got just two points today. So you'll make it to lunch before the Methodist. It'll be great. You'll love it. Two points. My first point is a place for me. Now, I want you to understand there are just a handful of themes that we can grab onto somewhere in the Bible. And if you follow them, you can trace them the whole way through, from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes, but you, you feel the seams. You know, uh, yesterday, I was laying my head on Colleen's stomach, trying to convince myself I could hear the baby's heartbeat. You can look, you can look at her, and I, I tell you she's pregnant, you don't believe me. Um, you need fancy equipment to look and ultrasound and see it. But I was there, and I was like, I hear it. I think I hear it. And she said, that's my stomach growl. No, it's the baby's heartbeat. <laughs> I hear the baby's heartbeat. You, know, you want to find that pulse. You, know, you want to find that pulse. You want to find that thing. Now, when we listen to the Bible, you know, you can look at the Bible and you can say, oh, look, there's some interesting stories here about these people. Or you can stick your ear to, ear to it. You say, I hear God's heartbeat. I hear the beat of God's heart. I hear what matters to God pounding and pulsing through the whole thing. Now, the first, one of the major themes of the Bible is exile. That we are aliens. Now, where does that start? Well, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin and they are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They no longer have a home. Cain kills his brother Abel, and God says, hey, get out of here. And he says, where will I go? The earth rejects me, the ground rejects me, and I'm rejected from your face also. Where will I go? He's got no home. You go along a little further, and when we get to the Tower of Babel, you remember in the Tower of Babel what the people wanted to have. They said, we'll make us a, name, a, a tower, a place, and a name. They wanted a place. They wanted somewhere, an anchor to belong. But 
but they didn't find it. In the flood, of course, the whole earth is destroyed. Noah's place is taken from him. Go a little farther. God tells Abraham, get thee out from thy kindred and from thy father's house. He loses his place. And go to a place that I will show you. But how much, did, how much of that promised land did Abraham inherit? Just enough to bury his dead. We go a little farther. And we come here, of course, to Jacob on the run. We go yet a little while farther, and we see Israel's family, the sons of the promise, the origins of the 12 tribes of Israel, living in slavery in Egypt. No home. They leave Egypt, and for 40 years they wander in the wilderness in exile because of their sin. A little while longer, and they're in the land, and then they're kicked out again because their sin. You remember the, the enemies of Israel come and draw them away off into Babylon and Persia. They, they scatter them. They have no home. And as we look at all of these different things, we see, look, there's this theme in the Bible of being exiles. And I, I've got uh, just the scriptures. Genesis 4.12 is one that I, I've got up here for you. That it's, and it's just uh, Cain speaking, or God speaking to Cain. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be on the earth. A fugitive. Genesis 20, verse 13, and it came, Abraham here, and it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house. He's a wanderer. Numbers 32, 13, and the anger, Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. Ezekiel 34, 6, we looked at this just a few weeks ago when we were studying uh, our uh, women's ministry, studying abuse, but he says, my sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. Wanderers. It seems like that's the life of humanity, is not having a place. And how badly do we need a place? You know, I, I struggled to try to think of an illustration of home. But I ultimately decided it doesn't really need an illustration. It's something that resonates with us. You know, what, what do you think of when you think of home? There was a uh, legal theorist named Blackstone who was working in the time of English common law. And he had to deal with this person who was a, he'd lived a lot of his time in England, lived a lot of his time in France. And for the purposes of a state law, they had to figure out where his home was. He didn't have, you know, homesteading on his taxes. He had to figure this out. And Blackstone said that home is that place which, from whence you have gone, you are a wanderer until you return. It's a place that you belong. You know, it, we, you know, we can't really define home and say this is what home is like. But we can say it's the place that's not like any other place. It's the place that you belong. It's some place you know you can go. But then, as human beings, one of the realities of the sinful world that we live in is that there is no home. There's nothing solid. There's no place that we can always go to. We're wanderers. We're scattered. We are in exile because of our sin, because of other sin, because of the broken condition of the cosmos. Like Jacob on the run. Here we are in exile. How do I know that it's 
so broad. I mean, we'll look at Hebrews 11, 37. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Let me ask you, on the basis of Hebrews 11, do the people of God have a place here? They're wanderers on the earth. Now, why are they wanderers on the earth? I can't pass this either. Because they look at that little parenthetical. Because the world was not worthy of them. Have you ever been to the funeral of such a fantastic, godly person? You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, God needed them. Don't, don't say that. God, God doesn't need anybody. God is sovereign, self-sufficient. His, his love is perfect, and to him, a thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. There are some people who die, not because God needed them more than we did, but because the world was not worthy of that saint. I, I've been to some funerals like that. And I said, you know, this person, God, knew that the world had benefited from them as longer already than it had deserved. And so as a judgment on the world, <laughs> they died. The world was not worthy. So we wander around because this is not the place that we can put down roots because this is not what God has made us for. It's not just people that are wanderers, though. Uh, Revelation 12, verse 7. You remember this. Uh, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. He was, Satan himself does not have a place. Sin causes exile. But now, as we think of this theme of exile, there's one final place that I want you to see it. And I'm going to leave you hanging a little bit on this resolution. But there's one final place I want you to see it, and that is in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. I was trying to quote this the other day, and I said, uh, foxes have nests and birds have holes. That's not right. Jesus saith unto them, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Jesus left the halls of glory and came to be a wanderer in exile like us. We are in exile because of our sin. I've done things. You've done things. We have rebelled against God where we do not deserve to have a place. You know, we went to our Father and said, Father, give me what is mine. We went and wasted all our substance on riotous living. We do not deserve to have a place. But Jesus voluntarily laid it aside and said, I will go into exile. I will be a wanderer with them. I will have no place to lay my head. Now, materially, that's true. Jesus was poor. You know, Mary was poor. Mary did not. Mary had to give a two turtle doves because she couldn't afford the lamb for the sacrifice. But Jesus who owned all the riches of glory, came into wander like an exile. He came to be separated and to be alone. So one theme we can trace through the Bible from beginning to end, one pulse we can find if we sort of run our fingers on it, is exile. And this longing for restoration from exile. Um, and we'll come back to it. But back to Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. And he dreamed. So Jacob hears asleep as this exile. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. 
you know, you've seen this, this is popular in art. Got this staircase or this ladder, the word in Hebrew is not really definitive, but you've got this pathway that leads from earth to heaven at this spot. And the angels of God are coming up and down on it. And you say, well, that's strange. Do angels need a ladder? (laughs) Is heaven like that where they climb down? And of course, we say no, that God's showing Jacob something here, something that he couldn't understand. And we'll, we'll understand that in just a second. But the Lord stood above it. So he looks and he sees this bridge to heaven. And at the top of the bridge is God. God standing on top of it. Let me tell you, what is heaven? And we say, well, I'm satisfied with just a cottage below. I want a mansion. Let me tell you, when you get to heaven, the point is not the place. What is the point? Jesus, right? I like much better than mansion over the hilltop. When by his grace I shall look on his face. What? That will be glory, be glory for me. What do you want? You say, I would see Jesus. Do you want that? Do you want that? You say, I want to see Jesus. And you say, oh, I want to see the streets of gold. What are you going to do with the streets of gold? Say, I want to see my loved one. Well, that's good. You will. But do you know the best thing about seeing your loved ones in heaven? Let me digress a little here. I was thinking this week, um, Brother Bobby Bryant uh, came and he preached our revival for us and he preached for us at our men's brotherhood meeting on Thursday. Has uh, Alzheimer's disease. And it's really been weighing on me that uh, some of the great men of God are you know, going to be home with him and not being replaced. Um, thinking about my pastor growing up, Brother Streeter. And you know the best thing about seeing him in heaven will not be being able to ask him some of the questions that I wish I'd asked him when he was still alive. It will not be asking him about things that happened. The greatest thing about seeing a godly person in eternity is to see Jesus reflected in their face. When you look at someone who's godly, we get a glimpse of that now where you can sort of see Jesus in somebody. But in eternity, when we are glorified, we will reflect his glory. We get to see them. That's what heaven's all about. So we've got this ladder here, and the ladder doesn't go, you know, up where you can sort of get to the edge and climb onto the golden street and say, oh, I'm here, look at this, this golden street. It doesn't lead to the family reunion, you know. It doesn't say, Grandpa, is that you? When he looks at the bridge to heaven, what does he see? He sees Jesus. You say, well, wait a minute, it just says he saw the Lord. Well, the Bible says that no man has seen God at any time but the Son, who's in the bosom of the Father, has revealed him. It's Jesus. And so he looks there and he sees at the top of this ladder as the goal, he sees Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the Lord. I am that I am. I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. I'm going to notice something very important right now about Jacob. Jacob has been a sinner. He's been a rebel against God. And God does not say, I am the Lord your God. He says, I'm the Lord of the God your fa- of the, your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the God of your grandfather and your father. God has no grandchildren. What a tragedy it will be at the last day when some people who came from great homes, great situations, great churches, 
will stand before God and God will say, I am the God of your father. I'm the God of your grandfather. Now depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. God has no grandchildren. You are either God's child or you're not. And at this point, Jacob is not. That tells us something important too. God did not make Jacob better so he could love him. He made Jacob better because he loved him. Remember we say he saw, before he was ever born, he saw Jacob's face and he loved him in his life and transformed him because of it. You know, the Bible, he loved him. He makes him, this, makes him this promise before he's come to him. You know, if God didn't reach out to us, we would be in big trouble. Jesus died before we were, before we were born, obviously. Jesus came and gave his life for us before we knew him. And because he came and he gave his life for us all, we are given the chance to respond. What a, what a marvelous, marvelous thing. So he looks and he doesn't know him. I'm the God of your father. But this land that you're lying on, I'm not your God, but I'm still giving this land to you and your descendants. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is the promise that he had made to Abraham. And now he passes it on to Jacob. This tells us something very important. Jacob had sinned. Jacob had been deceptive. Jacob had done everything wrong. But God had made him a promise before he was born. God had said to Rebekah, the elder will serve the younger. And nothing we do can nullify the promises of God. Again, Romans 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Jacob had messed up, but God was still faithful. The Bible says that if we deny him, he cannot deny himself. So he stands here, and he, he looks, and Jesus says, I'm the God of your father, and I keep my promises. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of, that I'm going to finish what I started. We read that in the Bible also. Paul writes, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God finishes what he starts. And if you have seen your sin, repented of your sin and placed your trust in Jesus, if you've turned around and come back, then God says, I will finish what I start. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So he says then in verse 16, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. He says, What a place. I didn't realize it, but I've come to the gate of heaven. Now, if you know a little bit about the Bible, your mind starts to work. You think, wait a minute. The Israelites did not worship at Bethel throughout their history, very briefly. It was God's desire for them to worship at Jerusalem. So where is the entrance to heaven? 
That brings us to our second point and final point. Okay, we'll park here a little bit. Our first point was a place for me. We need a place. Our second place is a place for God. Where is God? Does God dwell in buildings? Does God dwell in temples? Does God dwell in altars? Where is God? So let's look. Let's trace this theme through the Bible because one of the main themes of the Bible is exile. Another main theme of the Bible is temple. If you are comfortable writing in your Bible, then a great thing to write over Genesis 28 is 1 John 1, uh, sorry, John 151. John 151, Jesus says. So uh, Nathaniel has been over, he's been sleeping, um, and uh, Jesus is talking to him, and hey, Jesus sees him, and Nathaniel says, you are the son of God. <laughs> and uh, Jesus says, do you say this because I saw you under the fig tree? And he saith unto him again, you, you, think that it's, you think that I'm impressive because I saw you under the fig tree. Let me tell you who I really am. He said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is, to me, one of the coolest verses. Jesus says, You think you've seen something. You think you know something. He said, but let me tell you, there's coming a day when you'll understand that when heaven opens up, the angels of God ascend and descend on the Son of Man. He says, you need to understand that I am Jacob's ladder. Jesus says, I am the bridge between heaven and earth. I am the place that eternity and now kicks. I am the place that if you want to go to God, you've got to come through me. I am the way that God comes down to you. I am the ladder. So Jesus says, I'm Jacob's ladder. Wherever I am, God is. The house of God moves on two legs. And now why was this so strange to the Israelites? Okay, let's trace it through the Bible again. Let's start over here in the Old Testament. You've got Bethel. And say, oh, well, you start out, of course, with Eden. God says, oh, this universe is my temple and Eden is my holy of holies. Here you can come and you can fellowship with me here. Uh, because of sin, they're scattered. And they lost not only their own place, but God's place. That's important. They go a little farther. You have this incident, Bethel. They go a little farther. Moses comes. Moses comes up. And you remember in, Gen in Exodus 3, he hears a voice. It's Moses, Moses. He says, here am I, Lord. And what does God say? He says, remove your shoes from off your feet, for you're standing on holy ground. He encounters God here at Mount Horeb. He goes a little farther, and uh, they follow the presence of God in this pillar, the fire and cloud. They go a little farther, and they build a tabernacle. And wherever that tabernacle is, God is there. And if you want to go worship in Israel and you want to worship legitimately, you go to the tabernacle. You couldn't just go do what you wanted, where you wanted. You had to come to the place where God had set his name. We go yet a little farther. And in the days of Solomon, the tabernacle is replaced by the temple. God says, I have set my name in this place. And so when they prayed, they prayed toward the temple. When they worshipped, they worshipped in the temple. They brought all their sacrifices to the temple. And if you didn't bring your sacrifices to the temple, you were in sin. 
But ultimately, we read in Ezekiel, the glory of God left the temple, went to the Mount of Olives and went up. Left. If we go a little farther, now of course they, the temple is destroyed, rebuilt by, the, by Herod. And when Jesus comes to the temple and cleanses it, he says, it's written that my father's house shall be a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of robbers, den of thieves. Jesus says, look, you can keep coming here if you want, but this is not my house. This is your house. I fear there are some churches that are like that, where God looks at that and he says, I notice you have church on the sign, but this is not my place. This is yours. Everything here is how you want it, and I'm gone. Church in Revelation that almost faced that. He said, repent and return to your first love, or I will come quickly and remove your lampstand. There's some churches. God says, I'm still in the individual believers, but I'm not in your midst anymore. I'm getting ahead of myself. So the temple destroyed. But before Herod's temple is destroyed, Jesus says this. He says, I am Jacob's ladder. I'm the place you can come to God. Moreover, in John 2, verse 19, uh, in, he says, destroy jesus answered and said unto them destroy this temple and in three days i will raise it up it says destroy this temple and in three days i'll build it again then said the jews 40 and six years this temple was in building and wilt thou raise it up in three days it said it took 46 years to build this temple are you greater than nehemiah are you greater than ezra but he spake of the temple of his body when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Jesus said, you destroy this temple that is my body, and in three days I will raise it up again. I will build it again. So in this theme of temple, God said, Jesus says, if you really want to come to God, if you don't go to Bethel, you don't go to the burning bush, you don't go to the tabernacle, you don't go to the temple, you don't go to all these different places where God had been before. He says, if you want to meet God now, I am the temple, and all worship to God will be brought to me. All power will come through me. I'm Jacob's ladder. I'm the bridge. So the person of Jesus is the place for God. When he becomes and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, when God says, I become a man, this is the place where heaven meets earth. You ever think of Jesus in those terms? You know, you ever think of him, oh, look at him, you know, holding the little children. And that's fantastic. That's true. You know, there's Jesus. He says, uh, forbid not the little ones to come unto me for of such as the kingdom of heaven. Bring them to me. We think of Jesus in power sometimes, saying, Lazarus, come forth. We think of Jesus commanding the wind and the waves, saying, peace be still. But if you really want to get a scope of who Jesus is, he says, I am the place that heaven and earth meet. I am the temple. You study the temple, it's like the size of a mall. Herod's temple was. It was covered in stone, and uh, precious stones and gold and all kinds of things. But if you want to see the temple, do you know where you see it? Jesus. He says, in this temple, although the temple of Solomon was destroyed, although the temple of Herod was destroyed, Jesus says, my temple stands forever. He lives forevermore. 
And so we've got this theme here of temple pulling through the Bible, but it gets even better. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy, uh, Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God and you're not your own? You're bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Let me ask you this. Where does God live for you? John 18, Jesus said, it's expedient for you that I go, because if I don't go, the comforter won't come. Right now, on earth, God lives in you. Now that changes your sin. See, you say, well, sin, you know, I'm saved, I'm okay. Nothing can take that away from me. That's true and that's great. But I want you to understand, God is in you and you are in Christ. So when you sin, you are blaspheming the house of God. You know, we, we read this and people say, oh, look, your God is the temple. Don't, I don't know, drink Coke. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about sin. So if I came in here and we found that somebody had come in the church building and had brought, broken all the doors, knocked all the doors off the hinges, spray painted all over the walls, you would think, what an awful thing to do. Maybe some of you would say, what an awful thing to do to God's house. But Jesus would say, no, this building is not God's house. These people are God's house. These people are where God lives. And every time you sin, you are spray painting all over the walls of God's holy temple. You're tarnishing, you're smearing sin. You are in Christ. And in Christ, would you sin in the person of Jesus? Would you try to bring darkness to the infinite light that is the Godhead? You are bought with a price. Jesus died to buy you as his temple. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So this theme of temple, Jesus says, I'm the temple. And then he says, because I am in you, you also are a temple. So we've seen it, it's kind of narrowed down to the person of Jesus. And to kind of expand a little bit, but it goes further. Jesus says in Matthew 18, where verily where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That means when we come together, and this is not, um, you know, some people say, you know, Christians go to lunch together or whatever. Look, that's Jesus there. Well, Jesus is there, but he's not in our midst. When you gather together, in his name, in the context, he says, uh, tell it to the church. When he's talking about church discipline, he says, if they won't listen to the two or three, tell it to the church. Uh, whatever the church says, you know, you've been given authority to bind on earth what's been bound in heaven. Uh, verily, I say unto you, where two or three are gathered together in my name. He's talking about the church. When we assemble together in the name of Jesus as a Christian church, Jesus says, I'm here. I'm in your midst. And so not only are we individually the temple of God, but as a group, we are the temple of God. God says, I live here where you are. And so we come and worship together. We are like the temple of the Old Testament. We don't have the marble and the statues and the giant copper sea and the different things. But God says, this is the place where I set my name. So worship. 
And sometimes we take it really lightly and say, you know, I don't really want to join a church. I don't want to be baptized. I don't want to commit. I don't want to. God says, this is the place that I've chosen to accept my worship. Where is God? <laughs> he say he's in the person of Jesus, and then it gets broader because he's in us, and then it gets broader and say this whole assembly is full of him. What a temple. What a temple. They go on a little bit further. Um, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? These yees are plural. This is different than don't you know your body. This is you as a group. Don't you know you as a group, the church, are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in y'all. Ephesians 2.21, one of my favorite verses. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Right now, our church is being built by God as a place for His Spirit to live. Now, if you would, we've traced this theme all the way. Let's look at it in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, we're going to read these slightly out of order. You may want to turn there because there's several verses I want to look at here. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to begin in verse 9. Here, of course, we come to the end of it all. Revelation 21, 9. John writes, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Ponder here for just a second. So I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Who's the bride? Well, you see the bride's the church. The, all the Christians gathered together uh, in, the, in the rapture and the resurrection, gathered together. He says, this is the bride. He says, this city is where the bride lives. And so it's a, a, a form where if I talk about, I say, you know, Houston cried out against this law. Well, it's not the city that cries out. It's the people. So he says, look, this is the bride. She comes down from heaven. And she comes down from heaven in a perfect cube. What is the only perfect cube in the Old Testament? The Holy of Holies in the temple. This city comes down as this massive Holy of Holies. We are there. The universe becomes a temple. And the New Jerusalem, the Holy of Holies. This is the place where I am. If you want to worship me, if you have a place for God, this is it. 
the whole earth, the psalmist writes, is full of his glory. And so, again, uh, if we jump down to verses 22 and 23, so important. And I saw no temple therein. There's no temple in heaven. Why? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. There's no need for a temple because God is the temple. The presence of God is unmediated. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. There's no light, there's no sun. It's just the glory of God permeating out in all directions. Here at the center in the Holy of Holies, so the universe becomes a temple. Go back then to the beginning of chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. This is our last scriptures. It says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So, of course, the new universe becomes the new temple. The new city will be the Holy of Holies. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Verse 3 is what I want you to see. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them, and be their God. The tabernacle of God is with men. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things have all passed away. We've traced this theme. I gave you two themes at the beginning, and I tricked you. It was one theme. But if I told you you had a one-point sermon, you would have already called for lunch. The theme here, the two themes of the Bible, exile, you are a sinner without a place. God, the other theme, temple, God is a God without a place. You know, he's, he's, been, he's separated from this creation and because of our sin. But finally, as we trace them through the Bible, what do we see? We see that our exile Yes, I know I'm a sinner. 